David said that we should come in and talk about the new season, so I've brought the hockey Corsi ratings for all the players. I did a shot differential no, analysis oh, no. for... Count, count, count. Halloween season. I meant Halloween season. I have all those shot differentials. I went through the entire league, all 30 teams. Um, I did a lot of work. So. Oh, no. Oh. Well, here I was ready to talk about the the new Halloween season going on and all the decorations we put up and everything and getting ready, but you're here talking about hockey. <sighs> I accidentally decorated the house in hockey. I know you talked about putting up decorations, but it's only a couple ways days away, and I got carried away. Did you hang up any gritty things? I think that would work as a dual function. <laughs> I, I'm surprised you're not going as gritty, or you're not dressing as gritty. Are you dressing? You know, I only like to dress typically if I can think of a really good costume, and I've had one in the back of my mind for a couple years now. Uh, and I just haven't had like the motivation to put it together. The last time mm. I did a really good one is I did I did a Patrick Bateman, and I still have that costume oh. hanging in the closet with the the clear uh, rain poncho and everything like that. I still have yeah. all that, so I can whip it out whenever I wanted. But I'm really like I think I I could do a really good uh, Herbert West from uh, Reanimator. <laughs> yeah, sure. These yeah, that would be super good. simple. I, I can see it. And then I'd have like I'd I'd like stitch a like stuffed black cat onto the back of my coat or whatever. <laughs> yeah, all you really need is like the the white coat and the hair, really. Right. Well, and and I, yeah, because I basically I have a lot of the nerdy features of of Herbert already there with the big glasses and everything that Jeffrey Combs does. I could totally do it. I just I just haven't yet, but it would be really easy. I know you, what else you, are you doing to prepare for the season? I know for both of us, it's very festive, and we yeah. it's our favorite season, of course. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's something to establish up front here as well, is that, uh, like many movie aficionados, and I think just general Americans, you know, red-blooded Americans in general, we love Halloween. Halloween is the, the best time of the year. It's when the season starts to get all nice and cold, so you get to warm up by the fire, and the, the leaves change to beautiful colors and all that, and we get to watch spooky movies. We have a good reason to do that, and there's so many of them. So, we've been preparing, we've all been impatient, it's finally October, today is October 1st as we're recording this, and so we're all getting to start on our movie marathons and decorate our houses. Actually, I decorated a little early, I've got my apartment all strung up with glowy spider webs and various pumpkin lights and stuff hanging from the ceiling and all sorts of stuff, it took me several hours, but it was worth it. It's worth it to be in the mood in the season. Yeah, and I changed all my profile pics over to more spooky themed <laughs> ones. I like your one from Out of the Past. That, yes, uh, they're, they're pumpkin heads now. I just that's the thing I said. I just put spooky stuff over top of my regular profiles because I think that's funnier. Like I put on on Twitter, I gave myself a witch nose and a witch hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that took actually longer to do than decorating the apartment did. I think. But I think we're just going to do pretty basic stuff. I think we're going to go uh, hang out with the. Jessica's sister who just wants to celebrate a Sam Hain, so that should be mm-hmm. fun. Is it more like, like, do you guys do, like, more of a pagan, like, actual ritualistic thing? No, she might, but uh, I think we're going to do the traditional stuff and just bring Ezra to a, a nicer neighborhood where <laughs> she can reap the benefits. That's that's one thing I think that's interesting is that I feel like Halloween has changed so much from when I was a kid who went trick-or-treating, where it was basically just go off, go everywhere, you know where the right neighborhoods are, don't get kidnapped yeah. or anything, and it was fine. But now, I don't know if you can do that so easily. It's weird because I think I, as as a kid, I knew my neighbors even going like a couple miles out, people would come talk to me and have me over for things, and 
I felt like it was like an open community in some sense, to the point where, you know, if I walked within a mile, people would recognize me and I'd, I'd feel safe in the area. Like, I don't think Ezra knows our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's also different living in a city now, like me yeah. and you both do. I grew up in a small town where I could I could walk the entire course of it in a night, really, if I wanted. Yeah. And so that's what I did a lot for it. We, we usually hunkered down, though, in, like, con, you know, congested housing areas. Like, there was a naval <laughs> housing area that would always, we'd go, and just door-to-door, candy, candy, candy. And you knew which houses really had stuff, because that's, that's always a wonderful thing, seeing how the big decorated houses go and they have the giant right. inflatable things in their yard and all that you're like oh shit these people really have candy i bet now we have too much information like we have our we have our phone up and it's like popcorning like the the predator houses and you know probably all the ones we knocked on as a kid <laughs> yeah but, uh, okay we know which ones to avoid but we also have too much information to uh, really let just our, our little girl out for the whole night I'm also wondering, I mean, obviously at this age, you wouldn't let her grow on her own, even if no, we no. lived in a safer world. But, I mean, it, at what point now do you think you'd be able to let her go out on her own with her friends? I don't know if that, like, I'm, I'm unaware if that period exists still. Like 18? <laughs> yeah, that's... that's... Uh, 52. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's interesting. I'll be interested to see how things go. Uh, as an adult, you definitely have to turn more more inwards and make Halloween special for yourself because there's there's less uh, outward activities I think uh, you, you know you can't really go trick-or-treating and, and also I just found where I live like trick-or-treaters are very rare last year we got like more than we expected so we didn't get to keep all the candy that we wanted no <laughs> but that's what, that's what we've done to adapt well, we just we buy candy that we'll eat instead because we know we won't sell get rid of enough <laughs> I'm surprised because I, I don't think we get any... Well, of course, we're kind of like locked in, so you'd have to like go down someone's stairs and then you're not visible. It would be weird to come to our door. Well, especially because, you know, and I've been there a couple times now, yours is like actually down. Like you almost feel like you're going into a dungeon when you're heading down <laughs> to your apartment there. I wouldn't. And, and that's the apartments in general just aren't going to get much candy except for maybe the neighbors, you know, who feel comfortable knowing the area a bit more. But you're not going to go as a kid to an apartment complex to get candy. Right. Yeah, good houses, um, and, well, especially because typically, again, one of those things you look out for is the decorated houses. You know, these people like Halloween; they're going to participate. They've got candy, and you can't really decorate an entire apartment. Like you can't string lights across the entire building without management yelling at you. Hmm. I think a, a lot of the thing as a kid was that it was it was so exciting to just be out late and without parents, and then I eventually moved to Ohio, and the idea was like a, you have to be in by nine p.m. I was like, "What the hell is this? This isn't what Halloween is." Mm-hmm. No, it was it was always a big deal for me growing up. I, I mentioned this a little bit. We've talked about holidays and stuff recently, uh, but you know, holidays were always a big thing in my family, and we always did a big Halloween bash every time. My dad's birthday is right around Halloween on the twenty third. So, th- oh those really? Would, yeah, those would usually integrate there. So we'd have like Halloween birthday party thing going on there. My dad's is on Halloween or the day before, actually. Oh. Well, yeah, it's right within a week of each other. Very close. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was always big for us. And then, then uh, my daughter's birthday is nearby, too. So. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have a funny story, I guess I could tell, for if we're thinking of costumes and stuff. Because my dad okay. always used to like help make costumes and whatnot. So, I've got a... a I think before we mentioned, uh, I used to be into Pokemon a lot when I was a kid. We mentioned this when Detective Pikachu came out, and this was a big revelation for everyone. Um, 
when my dad would used to make these wooden cutouts of like Pokemon, I'd bring in Pokemon cards all the time and tell me, make this one, dad, make this one. And so for Halloween, I had a Charmander card and I said, dad, I want to be this one for Halloween. I want you to make this costume for me. As a kid, I'm imagining like, you know, a, a whole thing with the fiery tail and all that and whatnot. But my dad makes me literally the card. And so I go to school dressed as a Charmander Pokemon card. <laughs> That's cool. It was great. You got I, pictures somewhere. <laughs> I do. I have. I have one somewhere. I gotta find it. Like uh, I'm sure my mom cool. has it. But I, like at first, I was disappointed because it's not what I wanted. Obviously, but I, I realized how awesome that was as a kid. And yeah. like throughout the school, we walked through all the classrooms. It was like in kindergarten, so we walked through all the classrooms and showing off. And everyone really dug the the card costume. I wish I yeah. had the costume itself. Still, that would be That's a great so artifact. Cool. Yeah, it'd be nice. Um, I don't think we ever got so creative. I think I, I think all mine were pretty much store purchases until, mm-hmm. you know. There, there were some years, like some years we went as a, like a pirate family or stuff, but there was always some kind of theme. One year we did, uh, when we hosted our Halloween party, we did the Adams Family. As a whole oh, thing. yeah. My dad we almost dressed... did that this year, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it, I think it's a good one. It's an easy one to go to, especially, you know, because there's so many fun ones. Like, you could easily do, uh, and you know, and they have one for... You know, every kind of family member could be like my dad. Had, you know, he was balding, so he dressed up as Fester. And yeah, so that's what he did. And I got to draw on a fake mustache and be Gomez, and <laughs> that was fun. We we made my little brother. We it is funny. We we dressed up my little brother as Wednesday, though. So uh, we're dressing because we we're going to attend with Ezra. So um, mm-hmm. Ezra's going to be Dorothy from Wizard of Oz. Just going to be a witch. Uh, I'm going as the baby face killer. It's I see. There's a thematic. Uh, through line there with everyone it all kind of makes sense you know maybe you, you can the, tell me what it is <laughs> the, the the wicked witch and dorothy that makes sense totally yeah. goes together and there's a baby thing and there's munchkins in the movie represents the lollipop guild yeah yeah just just bring a big lollipop <laughs> <thing. laughs> that would be kind of funny actually <laughs> like a demented version of the of the guild, yeah, <laughs> that'd be pretty funny. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't have a lot else on on Halloween right now. We could save some. There's plenty to talk about with Halloween. I've got lots of Halloween stories, of course, and we can use them kind of throughout our month here because this is what we're doing the whole month. We're talking about spooky Halloween movies, and we're talking about Halloween stories, and also new movies coming out because th- that doesn't stop. Um, we're also going to get like these candy skulls. So- so we could eat the uh, skulls of our of our dead. I think that's. I think Jess is in the other room, but I can tell she's shaking her head. Um, I'm sure. At least we have someone here to vet your jokes, you know, in person. Mm. What's this? It's the Twin Geek Cast, and this is Calvin and David. On this week's show, we're giving you a seasonal preview and looking at our horror list and our recommendations. We'll also be looking at the box office. What do we have for a feature? The feature this week is Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, the perfect film to kick off our spooky season spectacular. Horror list, horror list, we're talking about the horror list. Okay. List 33. You have 33. I did. I added added one this morning. It was 32 originally, but I was browsing through what the Criterion channel added today. I knew a lot of what they added, which was nice because a lot of it was conveniently stuff that was already on my list. But one thing I didn't realize was that they added Todd Browning's Freaks, which is very hard to obtain otherwise, from what I understand. And it's it's kind of a infamous horror film from 1932. And I'm like, well, I should probably check that out. (laughs) 
Yeah, um, so I guess what we should do is, could you maybe choose like three from your own list that you're looking forward to and three favorites that you've seen? Yeah, so because I, I do have a combination of multiple here. Um, and I'll, I'll make it, uh, what, you just want me to pitch them to you? Yeah, uh, well, I guess let's go back and forth. You give me a new one, I'll, I'll give you one of mine. Okay, so so one I'm... And you're talking about me picking from my list, not me asking yeah. something about yours. Okay. Yeah. So one of mine that I'm looking really forward to here is I've got a lot of uh, Boris Karloff films. I've decided that's kind of like the big new venture I'm going into. So the best one I've heard uh, uh, good things about from people generally is uh, The Body Snatcher from mm. uh, Van Luten's produced, directed by Robert Wise. I've heard great things about that, especially from Graham on the site. Like when he, he made me add it to the list uh, once... Um, you know, he knew that I was doing a Boris Karloff marathon, watching a lot of those ones, plus uh, like the like the classic ones, like uh, The Mummy is one that I haven't seen yet, and uh, Old Dark House, another James Whale, and then a couple of like uh, Corman films from later in the career. But Body Snatcher is kind of like the big one that uh, seems to be of the highest stature. Yeah, I'm surprised it's eluded you for this long. Yeah, well, luckily it's on the, the Criterion channel now. I'm going through a lot of classic horror films as well. Like, classic, classic, like, way back, we're talking, you know, 30s stuff. Uh, but also lots of many other classics sprinkled throughout that I'm interested in. So, I guess the premise of my list is that I'm looking at Cthulhu's Sea Shanties from the Deep, so I've gone somewhat nautically themed, because I watch those kind of movies anyway. Uh, new entries that I'm looking forward to most... Uh, we have a, I have a selection of Universal Horrors, because uh, our friend Jesse sent me some of those, so I'm very excited to see those. Um, and I have Repulsion, which I haven't seen from Polanski. Um, you know, blame the guy, not the art, but I want to see what this is, just to finish out the Apartment Trilogy for myself. Um, mm -hmm. I'm very, very excited to see Videodrome on your recommendation. So. Yes, uh, I think that one's... I'm very excited for you to see that one. I'll be interested to see what your take in it is. Uh, I believe you're a big Cronenberg fan with the rest of yeah. us, right? Yeah, yeah, we all are. Right? I, think, <laughs> I think this is one of, like, the... like This feels like the most Cronenberg film of all of his to me. Like, I, I like something like hmm. The Fly just, like, a bit more. I feel like it's a bit successful because I feel like the, the kind of the theme of Videodrome maybe gets a little lost. Like, it's not 100% clear at times, but it's, it's a very strong theme, I think, and the way it's delivered is very great, and uh, you know, James Woods is, is fantastic, and this is the best film I think he's ever done. Okay. Uh, how about some, I, I know you especially like to revisit things on the holidays, so yeah, what do you I have got for that? I have an alternative list that's hidden away of just like classic Halloween films to kind of pick from, and, it, and the thing is that it's not just horror films, it's very specific, I have a very specific idea of what a Halloween film is, so something like, I see you've got the thing on your list, but that's never something I would watch during October, because it feels much well, more like a winter film. The thing, the thing with the thing is that our friend Will hasn't seen it, so he's going to come over and watch that in The Exorcist. So. Oh, well, yeah, that just makes sense then. Any excuse yeah. to show someone the thing, uh, you know, no matter what time of year it is, play it during the summer, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, I'm just pairing it because he hasn't seen Exorcist, and he really needs yeah. to see the thing, so that's that's that inclusion, at least. Right, makes perfect sense, totally approve. It's yeah, And like I said, just Halloween films, it has a very different connotation to me than uh, just straight-up horror films. There are some You're looking... You're looking for more like autumn films, uh, something yeah. that's of the season. Well, something that feels uh, 
spooky, I would say. I like using that word a lot for it. It's spooky. It's because you'll also see on my list here, there's a lot of comedic stuff. Like what we've got, like the, the Adams family and we've got like uh, Evil Dead 2 is on here. Um, you know, in lots of kind of kitschier things as well. Young Frankenstein's one I like to watch every year. And they're definitely more comedic horror films, but they have that kind of gothic Halloween-y feel to them more so than, uh, say, just some other regular movie. Even something like The Exorcist. Uh, I think The Exorcist is a perfectly great Halloween movie, but I don't feel about it as strongly as some of these other ones to fit into the season. I'm less likely to return to it than many of these other ones. I'm most likely to return to Exorcist. I think it's the perfectly made horror film, Lisa. You know, most people agree with you, and you're not wrong. Um, I, I had already seen... Uh, Exorcist 3, which is on your list, which I'm excited for you to see. Yeah, uh, you gotta tell me. Is it, uh, I don't know if you watched both versions, but I'm not sure if I'm watching the Legion version with all the extra VHS footage kind of stuck in there, or if I'm watching the, uh, just the regular theatrical version to get a feel for the film first before I venture into, uh, Blatley's, uh, extended version. So I've only seen the theatrical twice now, so I, I don't have good perspective, but, uh, okay. someone else on the site will help you. I'll, I'll dig into that then and figure out. Uh, I'm guessing theatrical is probably the way to go to start, and then you'll go and want to see what the extended stuff that body yeah. added afterwards is. That's my guess. That's the thing is I didn't remember it at all, and I wanted to give myself just a cursory viewing of it so I could you know get back into it again. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I like to mix things up too. I feel like as I go, it won't even be sticking to my list in some sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of curious here. I got a question about your list. Uh, how many of these Universal horror films have you seen? Oh, jeez. Uh, I'm trying to spot which ones. Uh... Well, you got you got your Dracula, your Frankenstein, your Mummy, the Wolfman, uh, Jaws 3D, obviously. Uh, I think I've seen Dracula of this. I already took off a couple that I have seen. Mm. Have you not seen Frankenstein then? No, I've never seen that Frankenstein. Wow. I mean, I'm not going to shame you or anything. I only saw it for the first time like two years ago, but uh, I think it's a it, it's my favorite of them. Uh, most people will will vouch and say Bride of Frankenstein is the you know superior film by far, and you know the best of the Universal horror still. Uh, Jesse, especially from the site, will tell you that. But I yeah. I just I like the OG Frankenstein so much. It's it's exactly what I think of when I think of Frankenstein and. and because he's become such a cultural icon now, this particular Karloff version of Frankenstein, I think it's uh, important to consider and see, uh, you know, kind of in all its glory there, what the original was and how it shaped horror films as we know them. Oh, I've seen Invisible Man as well. But, um, I think I think my favorite so far is Creature from the Black Lagoon. So if you think Ride of Frankenstein's cooler than that, then I'm so down for it. Most people will say that. Again, I'm not I'm not a big fighter for Brighter Frankenstein like everyone is, but I will say that OG Frankenstein is OG. Yeah, well, you know what? I was real down with Brighter Chucky's. <laughs> 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 yeah, I see you you also got a couple of the the Chucky films on here. I think you already got to most of them now cuz oh, yeah. you started your season a little early. So, I finished all of the Chucky films and I have two more left to go for Friday. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. And, uh, I I got good things out of Chucky. I'm surprised they kept a horror series going for seven entire films with the director's intent in there. Mm-hmm. That's incredible to me that he could have a through line of intent for seven movies before someone would like take the property and do what they did last this year. Right, and finally reboot it. No, they kind of rebooted it on a technicality as well because they could only yeah. reboot like the very 
first film and not necessarily the idea of Chucky in total. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I, I think Bride of, of Chucky is probably my favorite. It's the funniest, and it has a good blend of horror in it that's interesting. So um, there's, there's a lot of good stuff. I didn't realize some of them, like uh, The Curse of Chucky, would be like a gothic horror film. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Friday has been more disappointing, though. <laughs> I, I guess I should go over it since I've seen most of them now, right? Right. Uh, you can tell me, because I stopped after. I watched the first Friday and said, oh, what a piece of shit this is, and then I didn't watch anymore. <laughs> so I watched uh, my marathon basically started on my honeymoon in, what was it, like February, in March there. So uh, here's my idea of Friday. I feel like four and six are the only movies I really like in it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, those ones are worth watching just as uh, um, self-contained little things. The only problem with Friday is that they didn't plan for the series to continue. So, of course, you have two titles that are like the final chapter and the final Friday, right? And then it keeps going from those. Because well, they keep trying to kill the franchise and go out, but then it's like, ah, oh, it's still semi-successful, let's keep going. It's funny because it understands its, its own cynicism so well. It knows it only exists because Halloween was successful, so you really feel that in the movie because they're aware of it. Um, there's only a few times where it really tries to do something genuinely different. Um, I think uh, the one I watched last night, uh, Jason Goes to Hell, actually worked with for me, which I don't think it worked for anyone else on the site. I don't believe so. I'm pretty sure you're opposite because you also watched Jason X and you hated that one, which, <sighs> which some people seem to enjoy, like in a in a campy kind of way. I mean, you know exactly what you felt about the first one. Put it in space. That's what that is. <laughs> it doesn't impress me really because there are good space movies, and it's not one of them. You're very particular about your space movies, it seems. I'm very specific about what I want. Uh, mm-hmm. But Jason Goes to Hell is fun because he becomes a deadite in the sense that he wants to take over bodies for uh, you know, his own nourishment and his own will. And Yeah, I mean, the way you pitch it, it sounds, I'm sure, more entertaining than it is. <laughs> if it weren't called Friday, I'd be, I'd be doing something to get the word out about it, I guess. Uh, uh, the rest of the series I really care about... Um, there's, there's just a lot of downsides to the series. It's a lot of uh, premarital sex and punishment for it. Like, I just don't... I don't know. Are, are You think that you'll ever go back and revisit any of these Friday movies? Uh, I'd like to go back and revisit at least six, which was a lot of fun for me, and like a parody of itself. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, like the franchise doesn't have the same meaning to you as like the Halloween films do? I think Halloween might just be my favorite series to watch, like, in total. I think they're all fun and have something to them. Um, these all are, they have minor gimmicks. Uh, I'm not excited to watch the last two. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully they'll be a bit better. I believe those ones are the reboot ones, right? <laughs> yeah, so we have uh, Freddy vs. Jason. Um, I'd say spoilers, but it's been, what, like, I don't know, 20-something years. So at the end it goes to hell, he... Um, he gets dragged to hell by like the the claws of Freddy, so that goes right into Freddy vs. Jason next. Ah, oh, well, that's a little fun teaser, I guess. Yeah, because New Line Cinema just picked it up by that point, so they they showed that they had the property and what they were going to do with it from there. Uh, it's uh, two thousand nine. I've seen twice. It's the same kind of reboot as the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I believe that's it until they re- eventually reboot them again, which I'm sure yeah. they will. <laughs> LeBron James said that he's interested and he's going to fund it, so we'll see what comes of that. 
Uh, in new releases, we have a couple things to the box office to get through, and uh, a bunch of indie new releases. We could highlight a few of them. Yeah, I think we'll be pretty brief through these yeah. because it's a uh, like we said, we've been more focused on the the Halloween stuff than we have new stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, I've seen a few things, but uh, we have a uh, Judy in the box office, which you're interested. Uh, I'm I'm passively interested. Yes, uh, obviously not fully interested because I did not go out and see it, and probably won't. But I've mentioned my interest a couple times on the podcast here. I think Renee Zellweger is a great choice for Judy Garland, and I think the later part of her career during her sold out uh, Broadway show, uh, shows is a really uh, great time to depict in her life and kind of that reflective period. I think it's a very interesting material and certainly a story that is worth making a movie of. And I hear that Renee Zellweger's good. Neither of us has seen it. Um, I think that what I've heard is that it's pretty typical biopicy stuff, but that you really go see it for her, which sounds like what you want to do anyway. Yeah, I think that's the idea you want to get across. It seems like we're having lots of these more musically oriented biopics lately. We, you know, we talked about like Rocket Man a lot earlier this year, but this one's obviously movie star focused, but definitely still very musical. Yeah, I mean, especially with the. Bohemian Rhapsody being a garbage movie and then getting the nomination, I think I, I think people realize they could do it again. Yeah, they, they keep thinking that maybe these musical bio, biopics are really good Oscar baby things. We'll see if... Uh, I this bet one really, probably is. <laughs> I, this one seems definitely more so, because if there's anything Hollywood loves more than that, it's, you know, uh, self-filating itself and talking about how great it is. Which, I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure this will get a nomination. I'm not sure Rocket Man will, which is unfortunate to me. Right. I was going to say, I think uh, the p- depicting the life and the turmoil of Judy Garland is maybe not the best way for Hollywood to pat themselves on the back, seeing as uh, <laughs> yeah. there, there's a whole complicated mess with that. But there, I sure, sure wish we got that movie, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like anyone would sign over the estate for that. Mm-hmm. Just talking about how much they drugged her up while making, you know, Jesus. Uh, yeah, Wizard of Oz and stuff. Yeah, she had a real dark uh, upbringing. Um, I'm sure they... I feel like there's another movie there, but then you couldn't get the license. Right. Well, I I bet there is uh, something to it. I'm sure they they don't shy away from the darkness entirely, but I wouldn't be surprised if they glammed up the story, you know, just that bit so it looks better for the Academy. Um, Uh, Also in new release, we have the third, uh, what would you call it, like a... Yeti movie in the last year. Yeah, the uh, Yeti trend continues with DreamWorks's Abominable, which I hear is fine. Uh, I don't, I don't really run out to the theaters when people are like, "Yeah, that that animation movie is fine." This is, you know, I gotta say, this is the one time I'm really sad that a film actually did well because <laughs> the the reviews for this, if it bombed, would have been great. Yeah, it didn't Abomin- bomb. Though. People like Abominable. It. That's the only title you would need for it for your review. I know, and then it ended up being okay, which is really unfortunate for us. Mm-hmm. We can't make clever uh, puns that degrade the movie. Now we're not even going to review it. <laughs> I'm surprised you actually aren't going out to review it. You don't take like Ezra out to go see it or something. I probably will. I, I mean, I don't have immediate plans because I'm having all, all the foot pain and stuff. It's hard enough to get to the theater right now. Oh, uh, why uh, don't they just bring the theater to you? I mean, that's what I've been telling people. I, I told PR that, and they sent me a whole film festival, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what did you get on some of those film festivals? Oh, yeah. So, uh, I've, I finished up Fantastic Fest, which had a lot of interesting horror films in it as well. Um, I I watched a lot of uh, 
what was the one um happy birthday well shit i'll have to cut this <laughs> what's the one where the kids kill the parents uh i mean you saw it man i didn't see it yeah kind of okay um i don't please, know we'll skip that one right please, please stand by while we figure out what movies calvin has and has not seen well, when you go through a festival, there's just so many films that you, you end up forgetting some of them. Right. But anyway, I watched a, a revival of a horror movie <laughs> that it, I don't Was know. this it? Is it called Happy Face? No. Um, oh. So, Happy Face, I'd like to talk about it anyway. It's very inclusive, and you you edited Happy Face. <laughs> so. I'm in the same boat here, where you okay. write, you review so much stuff, I edit so much stuff, that it all kind of mushes together. I you know It's in and out for me. Can we start that over real quick? Yeah, yeah. Run it back. (laughs) So, I just finished up the Fantastic Fest and looked at some movies, and I know all of their names. Yes. Uh, Uh, Can you name some of them, then? Yeah, there's Happy Face. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a very all-inclusive movie that takes place in, like, 1992 Montreal, where uh, this boy infiltrates a meeting for the disfigured, kind of like a fight club type thing where he uh, has to sit through these meetings and then he ends up finding something in himself in it Mm -hmm. but Uh, i'm sure without all of the uh obvious you know metaphorical destruction of capitalism that comes along with fight club yeah there's not quite as much as that it's more like empowerment and uh, it'd sound like really easy and uh probably sentimental if i talked about it but i I think it is. It's it's nice. I like the portrayal of like Dungeons and Dragons of this movie. Uh, it has a lot of fun with the character. Uh, I think it. All the cast are actually disfigured, which is something that's meaningful to me. I like that kind of representation because we only really think about gender and race as representation, but we don't really fig- figure in like able body and the large percentage of the country that's not. It, it kind of links back to my mention of freaks earlier here, but hopefully yeah. in a less exploitative way than that was, I imagine. No, no exploit, no exploitation at all. It seems like it might have a little bit of that, and then it digs its heels in. Which uh, brings me to another film I just saw, Chained for Life, which is about the exploitation of people that are um, that have disfigurement, starring the, um, the guy from uh, Under the Skin. Right, uh, that's, that's what I was thinking of when you were talking about Happy Face here, was that, that guy and how uh, very unexploitative unex- that was for him. That's interesting, right. it's cool that he's getting uh, more film roles and such, that this might that, that might have actually have been a door for him into uh, yeah. the movie business. That's great. Because Under the Skin, it has a feeling that she's harvesting all these men, and then she's starting to grow into her person, like their shell of herself, when she runs into uh, this guy Adam Pearson, um his character this disfigured man that's when she starts to grow a human heart right so something about the empathy she feels i feel like that's my favorite portrayal of anything um this starts with the with a pauline kale quote about how we only go to the cinema to see beautiful people and of course she's like a objectivist right what's perfect is good but um i i think it's a lot braver to show someone like this um and they have a whole cast of also disfigured people that uh, Adam Pearson really knows in real life, and uh, just kind of bringing him up, uh, bringing up uh, the cause. Uh, it's filmed by a, it's a film within a film, <laughs> in Chain for Life by a maybe German director. They think maybe he's lying about uh, where he's from. Uh, um, that's, that's interesting, all on its own. <laughs> 
He's always yelling about Orson Welles, by the way. Maybe maybe it's interesting. What? Um, Or- Orson Welles? I'm sorry. I'm listening now. What? <laughs> Adam Pearson's, like, uh, hiding in the shadows, and the director's like, come, come out, come out from the shadows. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows if you're Orson Welles. You might as well be Orson Welles coming out of the shadows. And he says, well, um, an actor is an actor. Orson Welles could play Othello. So it, it has a few ideas about like identity and the tricks that Orson was playing anyway. That's interesting, the, uh, the the shadow bit as well. Like, you know, who knows what mysteries lie within the, the you know, the shadows, the you know, the Orson Welles uh, radio, you know, character that he voiced, he was famous for doing as well. So that's mm. an interesting bit there. And there's, I think of Orson in the, in the fog often. I think we had just done the third man and it, it reminded me of that shot, the way uh, Adam Pearson was peeking out. And I think he's such a brilliant actor. Uh, I'd say he's in one of my favorite actors, despite being in two films. So <laughs> I absolutely adore this movie. Um, I'm serious because I think it's the bravest thing I've seen on screen. So, I I just I don't know. I applaud whatever they're doing here. That's mighty praise. I I greatly appreciate that, and greatly appreciate that we can highlight it on our podcast here. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna do a review soon, but I I just want everyone to know it's glowing that I love this guy (laughs) in this movie. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll try and cut any personal bias from that review that we got, but I'll maintain the message. (laughs) Um. So, uh, is there anything else? No, or should we get on to talk about our, our spooky selection this week? And I feel like the other things are so small, it's better, and we're already at 40 minutes, let's just get to it. Okay, we'll just cut out whatever that was then there. And, uh, uh and, and now for our feature presentation. Ooh. I don't know. David, what do we have for feature this week? <laughs> oh, <laughs> of course we are. We're talking about uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, like we mentioned before. Uh, this was kind of, I think this is an interesting choice to start off October with, because uh, this is not the movie you usually start off October with. This is usually the movie you maybe no. end October with, or maybe watch in November in between uh, Halloween and Christmas. It's kind of what you're leaning into between, it's like the perfect bookend between Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Like, you want it right. within that range, but I feel like it's a perfect... Uh, a presentation of what we feel about the spirit of Halloween, anyway. Yeah, well, it's an, it's interesting because you don't uh, the movie's not stuck to either of those times as well. I've watched no. the film in like February before, just because I've got the bug to to you know get to the music again and see it. And uh, even now, I mean, I'm talking about it and being about a year out from having seen it because I usually watch it on Halloween as the kind of way of going out on the season, but. Uh, in the same way that it's kind of a perfect bookend to the the holiday there, it's also a great opening to it. So I was more than ecstatic to talk about it now. It's absurd to me. There's the scene where Jack is walking around the doors for the holidays that we never got the nightmare before Easter or Thanksgiving or, you know. What, what about nightmare before Labor Day? I didn't see Labor Day on the door there. <laughs> Did they have that one? I think so. I think they have all the holidays. There was, like, a St. Patrick's Day one as well, and, like, I just imagine that one's just a giant Irish bar fight going on continually. That must be what it's like. I think about it every time I watch the film, that I'd love to see how the film would portray those holidays, with its aesthetic especially. The thing is that you would hate if they actually did that, though. Yeah, they you actually would. made you sequels would. and they went to Thanksgiving land. Everyone would riot because it would be awful <laughs> and not actually good. That's an idea that's best served for your imagination. 
I think it's almost better that they don't open the door and that you just get Halloween and Christmas. No, that's that's exactly what it is, because the whole idea of it, I love how the film came to be, essentially, is that, you know, Tim Burton was, uh, you know, walking around the department store or whatever, and he saw as they were setting up Christmas decorations before they'd even taken all the Halloween stuff down, so seeing the juxtaposition of that was so odd, and so it inspired him to kind of make this. He started doing the doodles for this stuff, for, like, Jack and Sally and all of them, when he was still a Disney animator. Yeah, and then he just, it began, like, as a poem of his, correct? Yeah, it began as a poem. Uh, I know on, like, the, the special DVD I have, they have a reading of it from Patrick Stewart, I believe, is the one who does the reading of it. It's really great. But it's, it's a nice poem, and it goes well with the, it pairs well with the film. And it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's uh, a nice little kid's poem, and, like, we have the storybook for Ezra. It's a nice story in itself. And this thing is that uh, in its kind of structure and in its spirit, a lot of it is very Christmas-themed. The idea mm. of, uh, you know, the poem that goes along with it, it's very much kind of a Christmas storybook kind of thing, as well as the stop-motion animation is a kind of nod to the to the Rankin-Bass specials, all your Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeers and stuff. And that's a really great homage to that as well. But I think, you know, the, it can't escape the Halloween. The Halloween is as much part of its, its skeleton as... Anything else? Oh, man, that was a pun. I didn't even mean to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's the skeletal structure of this it's this movie. The, I, said, I said skeleton. I got you. Um, and I really love the aesthetic of it, because it's, it's pretty abnormal within this time frame. There there weren't any movies within like the decade of this that look like this movie does. Uh, I mean, the closest thing you've got is you've got, like, James and the Giant Peach, which was also directed by so. Henry Henry Selleck, directed by the same guy, and it's got the same kind of gothic-y, stop-motion-y vibes. Uh, but really, it didn't, you know, kick up again a lot of this until Tim Burton tried to again with, like, what, Corpse Bride, which isn't nearly as yeah. good. No, no, not nearly as interesting. And we should just mention that a lot of people think this is a Tim Burton movie. <laughs> It, it, well, it kind of is a Tim Burton movie, but it is yeah. not directed by Tim Burton. Tim Burton was way too busy directing Batman Returns for Warner Brothers at the time. Could Jesus not Christ. conceivably do this and that at the same time. So Henry Selleck took over directing duties. Again, mentioned here, he directed uh, James and the Giant Peach as well. And the other stop-motion you know, classic, uh, Coraline, is the other big one that he did and people love. I mean... I think it's what I want, too. I think I want Tim Burton to come up with the aesthetic idea of what it could look like and be, and then I really want someone else to follow through. I, I like I like Tim Burton's ideas. I don't like his direction as much. I would say this is peak Tim Burton, because we get, yeah. what, right before this, we have Batman Returns, we have this, and then we have Ed Wood, which is arguably his directorial you know, masterwork oh, right there, right an- after this. It's important to say he had just defined the entire future of movies with his Batman movie. <laughs> like yeah. he had set down like the path those movies would go on until it was a, now, basically. It was a defining blockbuster in nineteen eighty nine and then from that yeah. period up until like the mid nineties here, I would say ninety four, about when once he hit Ed Wood, I think he peaked. And this was right yeah. before that. So these two films in conjunction, I think they define the Tim Burton <clears throat> style and aesthetic and Uh, It's all been downhill from there, unfortunately. It has, with very few peaks, mostly valleys, not not a lot of highs, uh, especially Dumbo this year. I can't believe we got a Tim Burton movie this year that nobody knows about. I, I don't know if nobody knows about it, but nobody maybe connects it with him. Like, they, yeah. they very much have forgotten. Tim Burton has become a, an entire shell of himself. But 
I don't want to shit on him for this podcast sincerely. I want to celebrate his the great Tim Burton that we idealize and know in this mm-hmm. um, in classic. This is very much you know what I think of when I think of Tim Burton because it is it does have that very gothic, playful, cartoony vibe to it. But you know it's it's just seeped in the like. This is what I'm talking about when I say a Halloween movie because it very much embraces the holiday itself and it goes all in on the imagery and the aesthetic and the atmosphere of that. Yeah, this is very literally a Halloween town and a Halloween movie that's seasonal. Um, I could see why you'd why you'd classify it so specifically. I, I get a lot of joy out of it just because it's one of the better kids' musicals. There aren't a lot that I could really listen to without... Uh, you know, kind of looking the other way over a few songs that's, as that's, an adult. That's one thing I definitely say. This is the one thing I say about this. This is not necessarily Tim Burton's movie, and it's not necessarily Henrik Selleck movie as well as we said. I think above anyone, this is Danny Elfman's movie. Oh, he, yeah, yeah. He owns this, not only in the fact that he wrote all of the songs and made them all as beautiful, but he does the voice for Jack, the, the guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the guy it's that so they good. have for it, Chris Sarandon, he couldn't sing. He couldn't sing as Jack, right. so Danny Elfman does all the singing for Jack instead. So I think he's really the the, you know... Uh, the paragon of the movie, so to say. I think I'd say so. And the songs are so good; they bring the creatures to life, and they—they're such beautiful compositions of their own. That Ezra and I have been listening to it a lot outside the movie, and I know you listened to the whole thing before this. I did. I did not watch the movie again before this, kind of like last week. But I did. You've sit- seen it. 200 yeah. times, right? I, I've seen it so many times since I was a kid. I mean, I think especially our generation definitely grew up with the movie. I do have a, a fun anecdote my fiancé wanted me to pass on. She oh, what's said, that? She said this was the first movie that she ever saw in a theater. Her parents took her to this when she was a baby. She was, oh. not, she was not quite a year old, and she sat through the whole movie and didn't cry or anything. So she's had a very fond... Uh, connection with this movie for a long, long time, and it's, you know, uh, very much, we have, what she just broke out, the Nightmare Before Christmas uh, comforter to use last night, <laughs> so we have that, I just, and... I mean, it's iconic in the holiday, it represents something to, uh, especially late 90s, 80s kids, right? Yeah, I think it, it definitely means something to, to us in particular, because it does represent that holiday so wonderfully and so magically, and it comes on... Uh, every time during that uh, time of year. And of course, again, the the music, it's very easy to get swept up in something like the music. Um, I, I don't know how my dad got here, but he has a few Nightmare uh, Before Christmas tattoos. <laughs> he does? Yeah, he has That's... a large Jack Skellington and, you know, spider webs around it that crawl out into a Halloween tree. That's interesting. Uh, I do find that the imagery for the film, like the... the um, both the, the the products and everything that kind of comes out with this is much more Halloween-centric, obviously, because the characters are so embedded in Halloween. Jack Skellington is this icon of, of Halloween, as well as all the other many characters throughout, even though the film largely takes place in and around Christmas. We mm. get, like, the, the opening number is this perfect embodiment of, of Halloween. The, this is Halloween song. It's great. It's wonderful. And it puts you right in the spirit. That's why I think it's good to... Uh, put out here maybe for a second you can you can pause our podcast to play a few bars of it just so everyone else can get in the spooky mood with us and there's even the um christmasy characters we have like sandy claus right he turns him he tries to sell them to his committee of monsters (laughs) 
<laughs> it's so funny because he has like his whole speech about uh, how he's giving gifts and they're all like so skeptical. And then he's yes. like, and they call him Sandy Claus, and they're like, yeah. And he he tries to spin it in a way that appeals to them, and he, and he has that little lament afterwards as well. He's like, you know, yeah. they're excited, but they just don't get it yet. You know, yeah. <laughs> I like the I like the part where he's uh, sitting up in his tower. He's trying to find the meaning of uh, Christmas. And he yes. looks through like the scientific method book. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that one bit where he like dissolves the uh, the ornament and it makes this you know explosion? He's like interesting reaction. But yeah. what does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> and there's just that that sense that you even get as a kid. What are these holidays? What's their placement in my life? And trying and to I find this, a, yeah. I think got, this tries to help you answer some of those questions as a kid. Yeah, and you get the the sense for uh, the idea behind it and what Christmas does mean. And uh, yeah. it's it's not quite as explorative of those as like some other you know more Christmas centric films. Oh, it's the thing I love is that it, it it isn't afraid to tackle both subjects, both holidays, uh, in you know an equal manner. Yeah, I mean it could be. Yeah, it could be a weird divisive thing where one doesn't work in the aesthetic of the other, but something about a dark Christmas has always been appealing to us. Uh, uh, we've already had, you know, Black Christmas way before this by the director of Christmas Story. So mm -hmm. uh, that was like the defining horror for the slasher movies after Texas Chainsaw. So uh, we, have a, we have a large horror history of um, perverting Christmas in some way. We've always had, like, the Krampus legends, right? Like, I have a little mask of Krampus I like to scare Ezra with. <laughs> right, well, and that's always been the case. You've got, like, your, your kitschy, uh, you know, your horror Jack Frost as well and mm -hmm. other many, you know, killer things. Yeah, I, I get the idea. Perverting Christmas, that's certainly an idea, and I think that is what Tim Burton goes for here, but in a way that uh, allows both to, to represent themselves equally in their wholesome ways. They They have their equal value in the eyes of the audience not so much in america but there are a lot of cultures where the idea is to scare kids into being all right for the year right mm -hmm. like uh there's a lot of fear around it in some sense right that is kind of an interesting discovery as of as of late that halloween is very much just centric to our uh, american love here uh it's not really something that exists outside of our holiday and i see it going away more and more you know we kind of mentioned earlier here with the holiday not being able to be celebrated in the same way people not decorating as much or not going out as much and whatnot yeah but i'm very I, sad about it i think it's largely people don't own properties anymore and the generation that should be celebrating might not be owning houses and they can't show it you know what you might be right that the the housing crisis is much more to blame for the destruction of halloween the millennials get blamed for destroying so many industries but the boomers have killed halloween and that's the most important one so we have to fight back. Mm -hmm. So uh, um, I, I, I don't even like the commercialization of other holidays. This is the only one I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea, <laughs> right? Because well, it's 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 so fun. Like there's a yeah. there's this very f free spirit about it, and I think there is that sense. The I agree with you. The decoration, like I love decorating for Halloween more than I do Christmas, but um, you know, I think just because there's so much more to do, and there's there's this inherent, you know, more uh, playful aspect to Halloween. To it. Oh, I don't want to say like Valentine's Day. Uh, that's my wife's birthday. Of course, I care about it. But uh, the other holidays, I'm like, yeah, you show me commercials, and I'm like, uh, oh, I don't really want to be a part of your commercial holiday. 
Well, I think there's also there's more variety to it. Uh, you know, you got so much more color with uh, Halloween than you do many others. Again, the only close one that comes to it is Christmas, and you got your white and green and red. But after that, it's you know it, it's a lot of white, especially for the outdoors. Whereas Halloween, you have the autumnal com- colors, and they you know yeah, it's almost every color of the rainbow there. And I think the subversion is just so inherent in what it is anyway. Like it's so commercially subversive that they're. You know, they're selling you death, and that's fun. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did want to ask about uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, if you had a particularly favorite song from the film. Yeah, I I do. I I love The Boogeyman. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm I'm on the same page. That's exactly my answer. The, the, the okay. Oogie Boogie song is the best. I love Oogie Boogie as a villain. Like, I wanted to... Uh, yeah. I think he's like a top him. five, uh, would you say? Yeah, Disney villain. Yeah. I, I guess because the thing is that we... Uh, I think it's unambiguous now that Nightmare Before Christmas is a Disney property. Uh, yeah. You know, they originally they they pushed it out under Touchstone, and so it kind of wasn't. But obviously, with how ubiquitous he is in Disney imagery, and he shows up yeah. in the park now for both Halloween and Christmas around the Haunted Mansion ride. You know, it's like are they in Kingdom Hearts? Okay, good enough. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a good uh, uh, test for that, I suppose. <laughs> But yeah, no, the Oogie Boogie song and the whole character there, his whole, like, his burlap outfit with all the bugs inside, it's it's so much fun and gross in the, the voice for it. I love the, uh, you know, the more uh, kind of R&B styling we got there with him. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> uh, um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was, I was waiting for you. <laughs> no, I was just agreeing. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard when we just say yes, yes. We want to agree that this is a great movie, great holiday film. Uh, again, uh, it's. I don't know. Sometimes it's harder to to speak about. I guess I I want to talk about the uh, the character designs, and there's so many yeah. fun ones which you really get to see a lot of during not only the opening number but the making Christmas especially, or when they're looking for Jack. They're like, I dredged, you know, I you know we dredged the lake and we didn't find anything, <laughs> and they've got like the three vampires. They have the the clown with the the fate. Like this thing is that when they introduce they introduce them all in the this is Halloween song the the guy under the the stairs with the snake fingers and you know the like i mentioned the clown he's got the tearaway face the werewolf guy he's a lot of fun there and it's that's one of the great things i think about stop motion animation is that there's a lot so much a character put into you know the people they pick because it is so hand done it's not just like generally some way there's you know there's an individual making each of these and they give them their own personality yeah, like they own that through reflector reality of a person. So you have characters of all different shapes, sizes, and feelings, and colors, and they're very interesting characters. And um, I just like their their very large differences. And that, like the Oogie Boogie Man, like you're saying, I I find him so charming because he's like he's like Santa Claus if you turned his skin inside out and it looked green. Mm, you know, that's a really uh interesting idea there i get that idea because his his body type there you've got the large aspect of him the kind of you know heavy set uh character idea there but then you go all the way up even to his head which has the little cone shaped thing at the top which mm-hmm. kind of equates to the uh the the santa claus hat i get that I, I don't think i've ever thought of it that way before is that he's a foil essentially to to santa claus in that yeah idea. 
Yeah, he's like the Santa of the Nightmare Realm, right? Like, well, they, and they play him up like a big legend too. Like, you know, yeah. they make sure to establish him as this presence. Like, he's like uh, they make clear in the songs throughout that everyone in Halloween Town is pretty chill and they're not bad people at all, except Oogie Boogie. That guy is an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they're mostly getting along. I really like Sally too. I, I mean, she's so tragic. I, I mean, for like a Disney princess. <laughs> kind of character yeah uh are we calling her disney princess she falls into that category without literally being one like she is the the female companion to the male uh i mean i guess at the end if jack is the pumpkin king and he marries her in some aspect i guess i guess she's royalty yeah i i see the logic i think so i think that's part of what makes it disney is that he's a king well, there is, and there's definitely that idea there in this hierarchy of the town, and everyone looks up to Jack. It's, uh, and he's a very wonderful character. He's he's whimsical, and, and he, I think he. And that's the thing is that his character very much fits into the Christmas spirit as much as he does the Halloween spirit because of his <laughs> naive curiosity. And he's already dressed kind of in a tux. He looks like he's going to like a casual wear party mm-hmm. at all times. Well, and he's a great character design, I think, as well. Just the very skinny outfits of him and how he operates. Uh, again, all the character designs, they're great. They're wonderful. And the stop motion is so beautiful here, I think. And the especially the looks of the sets and towns and everything. There's, of course, the iconic image of the uh, the weird hill thing. Like, I don't even know how to describe that hill that has, like, the kind of curly bit at the end. It looks like something out of a Dr. Seuss book. Yeah. But yeah, yeah the winding a, hill that, that unwinds as he goes up. Yeah, this really cool uh, image with it. Uh, when you got the moonlight. And there's so many beautiful songs. That's where Jack sings his lament song, which is a very mm. wonderful one. One of my other favorites uh, for the entire film. I I like some of the simple ones, uh, of course, now uh, more than I used to, I think. Because it's easy for Ezra to say, what is this? Or this is Halloween. Yes. Those ones are the ones that work for her now. What's so this I is so them. much fun. I agree as well. That's you know, of course, one of the more Christmassy ones where he's running around and the excitement in Danny Elfman's voice as he sings the song is just <laughs> wonderfully infectious. Yeah, it's so apparent how excited this film is and how it's just lovely. Just being inside this world, just it feels like something else. Well, that's the thing you say that, it, and I think you're right there. Is that it? It does feel like a world. So I think we we don't actually value how many films actually create a whole universe, a very believable and uh, exciting universe of their own. And both the the Christmas and Halloween worlds of Nightmare Before Christmas are are very much ones you want to explore and sink your teeth into further. And they they feel very exciting and alive. World building could be a really underrated aspect. Of course, we don't think about it with like live action, where you don't really have to build more than a set, right? But uh, in the animation, especially the stop animation, you really have to build some kind of universe. Mm-hmm. Well, I think especially to to help your suspension of disbelief there and to, to get into the environment, uh, especially one as fantastical as this. If you're going full fantasy, kind of like this is, then you definitely need to indulge all the way and really bring all of the uh, imagination you can i wonder is there anything about this you're not into that you don't like no i don't i don't think uh, maybe it's fairly simple in its love story i guess like if i'm picking anything i'm gonna be nitpicky and i'm gonna you know 
take my, my nostalgia and childhood lens off to try and view it in a more critical aspect, which I don't really want to do. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't have any um, desire to see this as anything other than the wonderful uh, holiday, you know, spectacular that it is. You know, it's and it feels to me like the equivalent of you know, kind of like I said earlier, of a uh, holiday Christmas special or a holiday Halloween special, kind of both of them kind of coming together like that. It's something that you come on and watch on TV and you just delight in during the season while the leaves fall off the trees. Yeah, I mean, by this point, there weren't so many Halloween specials that felt as good as those Christmas specials. Yeah, I... Uh, you know, by this point, what, what your Halloween staples were, you know, especially on, like... Charlie Brown, right? Yeah, that's, like, the one big one you can think of, and, you know, otherwise, uh, you know, what are you really looking forward to every year? And even then, I think, uh, I still watch this more than I do Charlie Brown. Oh, yeah. Th- I mean, I like Charlie Brown a lot, but but this is uh, Charlie this Brown. Is more of my childhood. Yeah. Charlie Brown doesn't have as many fantastical songs as this do, does, so that's that's points no. against Charlie Brown there. And it's made for TV. This is actually like a production, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, not to you know disregard the production of Charlie Brown. It's got its you know its style and its simplicity. People love Charlie Brown for all the right reasons, and we love Charlie Brown too. It's just you know, Jack Skellington gets us this few points a little higher. Yeah, I mean, that's like comfort food. This is a, a different kind of seasonal comfort food. Uh, it, I, big, I actively big, look forward to this every year, twice every year at least. Yeah, it's worth watching at least twice, I think. I, I've i got a lot out of it. I think I've watched it four times the last month, though, so I'm getting worn <laughs> on it also. That's fair. I'm guessing you're getting worn of this podcast, too. You ready to, to wrap it up, then? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I may be getting surgery sometime this month, so we'll have someone else fill in if we need to. Figure it out.